pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Bibles, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. If you didn't hear my message Wednesday, you might want to get it. It's on several social media sites. It's on Facebook, it's on YouTube, it's on Rumble, it's on Spotify. I know not everybody has Facebook, not everybody has Rumble, not everybody has YouTube, but everybody has one of them, amen? And I suggest you listen to it, uh, because we started a series Wednesday night on understanding end times, and today is just going to be a continuation of that. And then Wednesday, a continuation of today, and then next Sunday, maybe a continuation of Wednesday, depending on how the Lord leads. And the Lord willing, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about end times. And by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that, day, as that the day of Christ is at hand. That the day of Christ is at hand. So I want to talk to you this morning about how close we are to the appearing of Jesus Christ in the catching away of the church or the rapture and our gathering together unto him. And uh, I know that we teach on the rapture in this church every now and then. So you're not a stranger to it. But we can always learn more. But my emphasis is not so much on the rapture of the church, but as to when it's going to occur. We don't do dates and times when it comes to prophecy. We don't try to uh, figure out the date and time that Jesus is coming, or this is going to happen, or that is going to happen. But we just do. We do teach that it is going to happen. It's imminent that He's coming, and we don't know the exact day or hour. And God doesn't want us to know the exact day or hour, but he wants us to know the seasons that we're in. And he rebuked the Pharisees on a regular basis, but there was one time that he rebuked the people. Not just the religious leaders, but the people, and it was because they couldn't discern the face of the sky, or they couldn't discern the signs of the times. And so he wants us to know the signs of the times. You know, if you're driving down the highway and you're going somewhere and you know where you're going, uh, but you don't know exactly where you're at, you'd like to see a signpost that tells you your destination is so many miles away. And uh, especially if you're hungry, you want to see a sign that says Bob's Burger Joint, two miles on the right. Amen? And so you know that you're close. The signs tell you that you're close. And then you get a, a little further down the road and it says, Bob's Burger Joint, one mile. Now you know you're really close. You don't know exactly where it's at, but you know it's ahead and it's on the right side of the road. 
And so we need signs like that. And God has given us hundreds of signs that point to the end times. He's given them to us in the sky, in the heavens, in the earth, all over, under the earth, because he's shaking it, and, and there's earthquakes in diverse places, and there's mass hunger in places, and there's wars and rumors of wars. So rather than just talk about the rapture of the church and exactly what's going to happen, I want to talk about the signs that point to the rapture to show us how close we are to the rapture of the church. And I can give you all kinds of signs, but I'm going to give you one major sign today that's going to be easy for anybody in here to follow. Amen? So, you know, a lot of Christians don't know much about the rapture because there's a lot of denominations that don't teach about it. And for different reasons. I don't know why they don't teach about it. But And then there's some that teach about it, but they don't teach about it adequately and the people don't really understand it. And as a matter of fact, there's not a lot of teaching on the end times, period, when there should be, especially since we're living in the time of the end. But since we're living in the end times, I can't think of a better time to preach about end times. I don't want to wait till the church has been raptured and think I can start preaching on end times. We've got to do it before the church is raptured. And it's an exciting subject because it's uh, the rapture is such a spectacular, mind-boggling, supernatural event that people, a lot of people have a hard time with it, uh, actually have a hard time believing in it because it's so, seems like it's so far-fetched. How is God going to catch up an entire church all over the world into heaven? Do we need spaceships? Do we need shuttles? Do we need, no, it's going to be a supernatural event. And it's hard to comprehend with the natural mind. But if God said it, it's true. And if God said it, that should settle it. You know, I've heard somebody at Raymond say that God said it, uh, I believe it, that settles it. Well, I got news for you. It don't make a difference if you believe it or not, it's still settled. God said it, that settles it, period. Whether you believe it or not. Amen? But I'm hoping that you believe what I have to say today. Paul said we. He was talking about Paul, Silas, and Timothy. If you look at the beginning of the letter, it's, he's, it's talking about those three guys that are writing this letter. He says, we beseech you, the church, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So this is definitely speaking about the church gathering around her Savior. The New Living Translation says, now dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered together to meet him. So he wants to clarify some things here. And, and Paul had to correct some erroneous teaching that the day of the Lord was close at hand, which some believe was referring to Jesus, what we call the second coming, where he comes to the earth and he sets up his millennial reign. This is what they were teaching, that this is real, really going to happen soon. But Paul is telling them, no, we need to clarify some things about that. And uh, there's three significant comings of the Lord in the New Testament. And two of the three times that he comes, he actually touches down on the earth and spends time here. The first coming already occurred, and we're very well aware of that, is when Jesus was born on the earth through the Virgin Mary, 
and he uh, suffered and died, brought redemption and salvation to mankind. And the second time he comes, he's going to physically spend time on the earth. That hasn't taken place yet, but it will happen very soon, very near future. We're going to see that happen. And he will return to the earth riding on a white stallion and the saints of God that were in heaven with him will be returning with him and they'll be riding on stallions as well. And it will be at the end of the tribulation period. He'll be coming to the battle of Armageddon where he will defeat the Antichrist and all his armies and set up his earthly kingdom here on the earth where he will physically rule and reign for a thousand years and we will rule and reign with him. And he's going to show the world and show the devil how this earth should have been run in the first place. He's going to prove it for a thousand years and this earth is going to be run with perfection. I mean, those the Lord can run this earth with perfection. But he'll touch down on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives, the Bible says, is going to cleave. It's going to split in two, and it's going to create a great valley, and the blood mingled with the hail and the rain that's falling on Armageddon uh, will mingle together with that blood, and it will run through that valley as high as a horse's bridle, it says. It's going to be a bloody battle. Amen? But he'll be destroying the Antichrist armies, not in a physical body, the Bible says that, or in a physical battle, the Bible says that he will destroy them with the brightness of his coming. In other words, the flesh is just going to melt off of the armies of the Antichrist because of God's glory being so intense. But this is not described in our opening scripture because there'll be no gathering together at the second coming, at this coming when he comes to set up his millennial reign. The coming that, uh, that Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is when Jesus returns to catch his church away, to rapture his church. He won't touch down on the earth or spend any time here at all, but rather we'll be supernaturally caught up to meet him in the clouds. So the rapture, the rapture is going to be a, a gathering point for every Christian that has ever lived or died since the time of Adam to the time of the rapture. They're all going to meet. The ones that have went on before us and are in heaven, they're going to come with them. And then the ones on the earth, we're going to join them in the air and we're going to have a glorious reunion in the sky. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know anyone in heaven? I know a few people, and I'm looking forward to seeing them. They're going to be there to greet you when Jesus comes. So we're going to see Jesus face to face. It's going to be great to see all our relatives and friends and loved ones that went on before us, but the greatest thing is going to be able to see Jesus face to face, our Savior. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I, and, and I will come again. Let me get this right. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye shall be also. That's talking about this coming together, this, this gathering in the sky. It's talking about the rapture of the church. He's coming back to get us right now. He's Preparing a place for us in heaven. 
Amen. preparing our mansions in heaven. Hallelujah. And when he returns, we're going back with him. Amen. That where he is there, we may be also. And when we go back with him, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. Seven years of hell on earth. But we're not going to be involved in it. Amen? But before we read this next passage of scripture, I've got to lay some ground rules here. I've got to make sure that we understand that this word of God, this Bible is an infallible truth. It's the inerrant word of God. The inspired word of God. Not one word in here was not written by him. He's the author of the Bible. And it was written by men uh, that were inspired by God as they wrote. It's inspired writings, but it is the word of God. Every word in it, every jot, every tittle in it come from God. And we have to understand that. Amen? Amen? And so, but before we get there, I want to... I want to just say this, that there's a phrase in the New Testament that appears three times. And it is the phrase, I would not have you ignorant. In other words, God is saying, uh, I want you informed concerning this thing that I'm about to talk about. And what's so unique about, unique about this phrase is that there are only three verses in the whole Bible uh, that uh, whole New Testament that begin with it. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians 10.1. Paul said, I would not that you be ignorant concerning Old Testament types and shadows. And the second time the phrase is found is in 1 Corinthians 12.1 where he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I would not that you be ignorant. And the third time is the one we're going to read here in a minute. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Dealing with the rapture of the church, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning the rapture of the church. So he wants us to know about these things. He doesn't want us to be unlearned. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He's going to give us some knowledge about these things. And I'm sure God doesn't want us ignorant about anything in the Bible. He doesn't want us ignorant about any teachings in the Bible, but for some reason he puts a special emphasis on these three teachings. Old Testament types and shadows, the gifts of the Spirit, and the rapture of the church. And we've talked about all of them in this church. Some of them very recently. But keep that in mind as we read what he has to say concerning the rapture of the church. Now what are we about to read? The Word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or in other words, those who died in Christ, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those who died believing in Christ, will God bring with him. They died absent from the body, present with the Lord. They're in heaven with Jesus right now. And when he comes, he's bringing them with him. That's what he's saying here. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, in other words, those who are alive on the earth at the time of the rapture, you don't have to die. You'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. You won't taste death. You'll be one of those that says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because you didn't sting me with death. 
and the grave is never going to see me. Amen? Hallelujah. Or if you die naturally, your spirit goes to heaven, but your body goes to the grave. Yes. Well, those that are in the grave right now, they're going to be, they're going to be risen, risen from the, the grave first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. Yes. Right behind them. Amen? Yes. And I think it's only fair because the ones in the grave have been waiting a little longer. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he's saying, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, those who are alive on the earth at the time of the rapture, shall not prevent or go ahead of them that are asleep or dead. For the Lord himself, he's not sending a representative to get us, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Caught up. That's where the word rapture comes from. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but it's a Latin word that means caught up or snatched up. Snatched away. Gonna happen quickly. You're gonna get snatched off this earth. Hallelujah. Uh, then we which are alive and remain should be caught up, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These are comforting words, and yet they scare some people. Yeah. Some people don't want to hear this teaching this morning because they're afraid of something like that. Yes. I'm not afraid of it. You know, you can look for a hole in the ground if you want, but I'm looking for a hole in the sky. Hallelujah. This is a great and glorious day. Yes. It's, it's a, a day that we hope for. And that's why we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. They don't have any hope of a rapture. They don't have any hope of a resurrection, but we do. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's such a supernatural, spectacular event that people actually have a hard time believing it. Mm -hmm. But then there's millions of people that don't even believe in the first coming of the Lord. They don't believe Jesus came uh, to this earth, ministered three and a half years, suffered, died, was buried, and was risen from the dead. They don't believe that. They don't believe in a Savior that could do something like that. And that's why the gospel has to be preached in every corner of the world before Jesus can come back. Amen. There's millions of people, including Christians, I'm sad to say, that don't believe in Jesus' second coming as well, or when he comes to the earth to set up his millennial reign. That's a supernatural, spectacular, far-fetched event to a lot of people too. But it must be important to the Lord that we're aware of his second coming because He's given us hundreds of signs that point to that coming. Mm -hmm. And people are in unbelief about a lot of things the Bible says. And that's why we have to understand, like I said before, that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Everything in it was written by him. He's the author. A hundred percent true and accurate. If it's in the Bible, like I said, it's settled in heaven and it will happen just as it was written in the Bible. God staked his name and reputation on the accuracy and the truth of his word. 
David said in Psalms 138.2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So David was talking about the word here. God spoke through the prophets concerning the first coming of the Lord. And it was flawlessly and accurately fulfilled a hundred percent. A hundred percent exactly like they prophesied it. Yeah. Not 99.9, a hundred. It was flawless. There's not too many flawless things in the world that you can point to, but you can point to this and call it flawless. Amen. Let me just give you some examples. I could give you the scriptures if you want them, but it would take too long. But I'll give you some examples of the prophecies or the foretelling of Jesus' first coming to the earth to save mankind. It was prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. He was. It was prophesied his lineage would be of the tribe of Judah. It is. It was prophesied he would be preceded by a messenger described in the Bible as one crying in the wilderness. It happened. It's prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed by his friends. He'd be quiet before his accusers and open not his mouth. He would be given away for 30 pieces of silver. And that betrayal money would be used to buy a potter's field. These are all things that were prophesied about his first coming. Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a coat, a fold. He would receive stripes on his back. He'd be crucified among thieves. His side, his hands, his feet would all be pierced on the cross. Jesus would wear a crown of thorns. And while Jesus was on the cross, the sky would darken in the middle of the day. It was prophesied that Jesus' bones would not be broken when the bones of the thief on the left and the right were broken. It was a common practice that they would break the legs to finish off of somebody who was crucified, they'd break his leg so he couldn't lift up and get a breath of air. And it was actually an act of mercy for that to happen. That didn't happen to Jesus. He died before they had to do that. So not a bone in his body was broken. It was prophesied that he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. He was. Roman soldiers would gamble for his robe after he was crucified. They did. Jesus' body would not decay or his soul be left in hell. His body didn't decay and his soul wasn't left in hell. And finally, Jesus would be raised from the dead. That's not the last sign. That's just the last one I'm giving you. And all of these things were spoken hundreds and in some cases thousands of years before Jesus ever came to the earth. Yes. And do you realize the statistical odds of every one of those Bible prophecies coming to pass from one generation to another. There's some 300 prophecies, just like the ones I described, that pointed to his first coming. I just give you about 18 of them. And yet the statistical odds of just those 18 coming to pass from one generation is 
480 billion times a trillion and a billion to one. That's 480 with 33 zeros after it. Some people think these prophecies just happen by chance. Are you kidding me? If you really think that, then you'll never believe anything else that the Bible has to say. That's why I say it's got to be made up in your mind that every word in this Bible is true and accurate 100%. Not 99.9, 100%. If it's 99.9, you could throw the whole thing away because you won't be able to rely on every word that's in it anymore. Even in the scientific world, it's acknowledged and accepted that after so many zeros, an occurrence is no longer by chance. So you tell me, how did it happen that all these prophecies were so accurately and flawlessly fulfilled? How did they all come to pass just like the writers said they would? I'll tell you how. God. Amen. That's how. That's Who else could do something like that except God himself? Amen. This book we call the Bible, I'm just trying to convince you that it's true. This book we call the Bible is one supernatural book from beginning to end. Yes. God inspired 40 different writers, and they wrote 66 books over a time span of 1,600 years. This Bible wasn't just written out in one day or one week or one month. And these writers came from all walks of life, never knew each other, and were from different countries that spanned three different continents. And yet not one of its prophecies has ever failed to come to pass 100%. How could those writers write that kind of book with that type of uniformity and accuracy? Again, because there was only one author and his name is God. Amen. And when you recognize how flawless and accurate the Bible uh, is telling us of his first coming, then you have to realize how accurate it is as it tells us about the rapture and his second coming. Now we talked about three comings, but Bible scholars don't call the rapture a coming. Although it is, the, the, the things they recognize as coming is when Jesus touches the earth. But as far as I'm concerned, there's three comings and the rapture is included. Amen? But you have to understand that just two of those comings is where Jesus spends time on the earth. The truthfulness and accuracy of Bible prophecy should preach to us as we watch events, even in the news, as they line up right before our eyes as Jesus is preparing to come back to planet Earth. And the Bible predicted the things that are going on in the world right now. And you want to know how close we are to Jesus' return? Just look at the news. And especially what's going on concerning wars and rumors of wars. That's one of the signs. Uh, and the prophets, not only the prophets talked about the wars and rumors of war, but Jesus himself told us about it. Yeah. And we need to watch Russia, China, Syria, Crimea, and Libya. Because all these nations are preparing for a war that the Bible described in detail. 
a war that's going to that's going to occur right before Jesus returns to the earth, and it's unfolding right before our eyes. We don't know the day and hour that they're going to declare this war, but we can see it preparing, and we can see it getting closer every single day. This is a sign I want you to watch because it's, it's in your face obvious. And how do we know this? It's because we have flawless, accurate prophecies in the Bible that show us the way. And although these, there are no signs that point to the rapture itself, there are over 75 signs and counting that point to Jesus' second coming or his return to the earth to the battle of Armageddon. So what does that tell us about the rapture? If we can determine uh, uh, the time, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be real careful here because I don't want to name times and dates or anything. But if we can determine the season that Jesus is going to return and, and, and we can determine how close we are to that, all we have to do is back up seven years and that's the rapture. Because the rapture is going to occur seven years before this war is declared. And that's what we need to focus on because he wants us to know when the day is close. And all we have to do, like I said, is back up seven years and we'll know that we're out of here. And I can show you all kinds of signs that point to the Lord's return, but I'm just going to show you this one because, like I said, it's in your face and it's easy to follow. Just turn the news on. Just keep track of what's going on in the Middle East. There's something about it every day. Uh, this one giant sign that I'm going to show you that tells us how close we are to Jesus' return it's a war that's prophesied by the prophet Ezekiel in chapters 38 and 39 of his writings. As a matter of fact, they call these the Ezekiel 38 and 39 wars. So Ezekiel describes an end-time war that will happen right about the time of Jesus' return. And once that war is declared, then we'll know exactly the time of Jesus' return. The cat's out of the bag then. The prophetic clock that has been stopped for the church age the dispensation that we're in now will once again start up and then we'll be able to time everything perfectly to the hour and day because when that clock starts back up they got exactly seven years to the return of Jesus Christ and the setting up of his millennial reign. So how close are we to that war? Well the nations that will be involved in that war are aligning themselves right now. As a matter of fact, Turkey, Syria, and Iran had a meeting with Russia in Moscow just this past week. And you'd think they'd be discussing on how to bring peace in that region and how they could end the war in the Ukraine. But that's not what the meeting was about. The meeting was about them getting more ammunition to Russia so that they could escalate the war. And as we are well aware, Russia is invading the Ukraine right now. They've been in there for almost a couple years now. And according to Ezekiel 38, Israel is in Russia's crosshairs. And that's her ultimate goal. And I know what you're thinking. Russia can't even take that little country of Ukraine. But don't be fooled by that. 
That war is not about what you think it's about. Oh, it's an experiment to see how much Russia could get away with. Yeah. Uh, and that's just among some things. There's also other things going on with that war that I just can't share publicly. But everything you're seeing on the news is a big farce. It's just fake news concerning that war. And you know this, the Ukraine is being well supplied by the U.S. with our weapons, our ammunition, our money. But when you look at Russia, they're also being helped by countries like China, North Korea, Iran, and of course Turkey and Syria who just met with them. All sworn enemies of the United States of America. And this is where Russia is getting their ammunition. And now they want more. They need more. Yeah, they're stockpiling for the big run. But the ammunition is actually being delivered to Russia by Iranian warships. I mean, we're in the Mediterranean Sea. We're a force in the Mediterranean Sea right now. we got aircraft carriers and battleships and... Uh, our troops are on the ready. We've got uh, fighter jets in the region, the whole nine yards. And you'll see a flare-up over here by uh, Tokyo. And they'll start moving. It's like a game. They'll start moving aircraft carriers over there. And then something happened over here, and then they'll move some equipment over here as a sign, a, sh a show of force. And it's like a game to them right now. They're just going back and forth and running here and there. Just to, they don't know where it's going to blow up at. But the ammunition is already being, to, being delivered to Russia by these Iranian warships. And I didn't mention Afghanistan, but you have to know that Iran and Afghanistan are like two peas in a pod. And remember, we made it Afghanistan, I'm probably going out on, on the limb talking about this, but we made Afghanistan the number one arms dealer in the world today. And that was when we withdrew our armed forces and left 800 billion, that's billion with a B, 800 billion dollars worth of high-tech modern weaponry. So you better believe their hat is in the ring as well. And make no mistake about it, Russia is on the move and along the way she'll pick up her allies. Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran, who soon will be, if not already, have nuclear capabilities to attack Israel with. And remember, Israel is just a little country on the map. Russia is probably the largest land mass. I know not all of it is usable, but it's probably the largest land mass nation in the world. And they're not going to stop with the Ukraine. Like I said, that's just a testing ground to see what the rest of the world is going to say or do about it. And right now it's pretty much crickets and rhetoric. Because it's going to take a superpower to rebuke Russia. And there's not too many of them left, including us. And if you look to Russia's west, she has Poland, Germany, and France. Which I don't think they're going to bother with them right now because... Uh, Russia already has them by their bootstraps with the energy. They supply energy to them countries. And our president, not this one, the real president, he warned them about that. He told them, get your energy from other places because this is going to work against you someday. And boy, it's right in their face right now. 
They are pawns of Russia right now because of energy. But eventually they're going to get swooped up too. And if you look to the south, there's several countries that Russia has to travel through, but they all lead to Israel, which I believe is the direction should be moving according to the Bible and not too long from now. Ukraine is the starting point. Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, Syria. This is where she'll pick up the, the support of Iraq and Iran as she moves down towards Israel. And don't forget China is allied with Russia now too. And she'll factor in later. There's a 200 million man army that's going to come from the east. Well, the only thing east of Israel that could produce an army like that is China. And that's described in Ezekiel's chapters. And this invasion of the Ukraine is not the war prophesied by the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 38 and 39. The Ukraine has nothing to do with it. Like I said, there's other purposes for that skirmish in the Ukraine. And if Russia really wanted to, they could end that war tomorrow and plant a Russian flag in the middle of Ukraine. But they won't do that. Ooh, I wish I could share some of the reasons with you, but I can't. But every sense, the, the description Ezekiel gives us with regard to the kingdom of Magog points directly at the Russia of today. That's Magog. Uh, Ezekiel talks about Gog and Magog. Well, Gog is a person. It's not a country. And Magog is the country of Russia today. Even the geographical locations are described exactly in the Bible. Ezekiel says that Magog's future attack will come upon Israel from out of the north parts. Ezekiel 38.15 So there can be no question that the only nation out of the north uh, that's capable of launching an attack like that um, in the Middle East is Russia or the present consolidated Commonwealth of Independent States, the CIS. But one thing Russia fails to take into account is the God that Israel serves. Amen. I mean, statistically, Russia would have no problem doing that. I mean, it would be the modern-day Germany uh, from World War II. Nobody could stop her. Uh, and, I mean, the, the United States could stop her, but they don't want to. Ezekiel 38 tells us that God will supernaturally defend Israel and those that come against her. And they'll be defeated in such a way that all the nations will look at that war and that defeat. And they will know without any shadow of a doubt that it was God that did it. Because he's going to do it in a miraculous, supernatural way. And God will get the glory for it. Russia and Israel is like a modern day David and Goliath. And the Bible also tells us that at the time of their attack, Russia, Russia will think an evil thought. That's what Ezekiel said. Russia will think an evil thought. And that thought is that they'll decide to turn the brunt of their forces directly against the small nation of Israel. This is in Ezekiel 38, 10, and 11. 
And this will be the greatest mistake that any nation has or ever could make, is turning on Israel. And when Russia attacks Israel, God said, my fury shall come up in my face. In other words, God is going to get so angry that he says there will be a great shaking in the land of Israel. Unfortunately, not only will the Middle East feel the effects of this war, but the whole world is going to be shaken in one form or another from Russia's advance. The whole world is going to feel it. It's going to affect the economy. It's going to affect energy. It's going to affect all uh, supplies and food and everything. It's, the whole world is going to be shaken by it. And then the Lord goes on to say in Ezekiel 38, 20, all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. There'll be no protection. There'll be no wall to hide behind. And the Bible predicts that Russia will be utterly defeated in this battle, and the bulk of their army is going to fall within the borders of Israel. And Ezekiel quotes God as saying of Russia, he says, you will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. He's going to feed the birds and the beasts with Russia's armies. And we're so close to that because right now, there's over 172 species, 172 different species of predatory birds that have migrated to the land of Israel, and they're there right now. Why are they there? They're the cleanup crew, and they're getting ready. They're going to be the cleanup crew for all these dead soldiers in the Russian army. Ezekiel 39, 4 through 6 says, You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. And I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety. And they will know that I am the Lord. So the Lord also says that fire will be sent upon Magog as well as the people who inhabit the coastlands. In other words, this is a phrase that's used in the Bible that essentially refers to and describes people that are dwelling afar off in nations that could only be reached by seagoing vessels. Couldn't get them by land. Now, you know, they can be reached by plane and everything else. But back in Bible times, it was a distant nation if it had to be reached by a seagoing vessel. So this is actually the first indication of the possibility that this war will go nuclear and result in the destruction of Russia and other large areas of the Antichrist kingdom. Now, in the book of Revelation, it describes the Battle of Armageddon and some of the other prophets describe it. It's going to be a horrible battle. It's going to be a the battle of all battles. You take all the world wars and even the civil war, combine them all together, and it can't hold a candle to the battle of Armageddon. And, and like I said, it's going to be so severe that uh, the blood, not just pure blood, but like I said, the blood is going to be 
mingled with hailstones and melting ice and water and stuff, but it's gonna it's gonna flow through that belly to the to the horse's bridle. That's pretty deep. That's six foot of, of blood and water mingled and flowing through that belly. It's gonna be a really serious battle. And Russia's not involved in it. Why? Because they'll be wiped out before that battle takes place. Because the Antichrist will lead that lead that army into Armageddon for the Battle of Armageddon. But anyway, we'll probably cover more of this stuff later in our studies on the end times. But at the time of this war, the Great Tribulation is just beginning. That's why I said Russia's going to be white before the Tribulation even begins. And these events will so spiral out of control that every nation will rise up to the battle. And during this time, evil and destruction will be totally unrestrained by God, and the true and full evil of man will dominate the world right up to the return of Christ. There's going to be evil on this earth that you couldn't even dream of. You see a lot of it now, but uh, once the church is taken out of here, there's going to be nothing to restrain that evil. You know, that evil is not being restrained by police forces and military powers. That helps. But it's actually the church that is restraining these powers through prayer and intercession. Yes. And you know, the Bible says, he who now liveth will lit until he be taken out of the way. In other words, he who now allows these things to happen will allow them, uh, or will not allow them until he be taken out of the way. And many people believe that's the Holy Spirit. You can read about it in the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians right here. If you just kept reading uh, after our opening scriptures, you'd see it in there. And it says that when he is taken out of the way, then shall that wicked one be revealed, the Antichrist. So some people say that he is the Holy Spirit, but he's not going to be taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit is going to be here during the tribulation. He's here forever. And, and he's, he's got to be here to get people saved. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. And so he's not the one that's going to be taken out of the way. He's not the restraining force that's holding back this evil. It's the church that's the restraining force. And when he, you say, well, the church is a she. No, it's not. It's a he. It's referred to as a she. It's like an analogy, you know, the bride of Christ and all this. But you stop and think about it. Christ is the head of the church, and his head is not going on a female body. It might fly in this culture, in this day and age, but it is not a part of a female body. The body of Christ is masculine. And when he be taken out of the way, then shall the wicked one be revealed. So the rapture occurs before the Antichrist is even revealed. Doesn't mean he's not here. I believe he's alive and well in the earth right now, and he's preparing for these end times. But he's not going to be revealed until the church has been raptured and it's been taken out of the way. And once that happens, there's nothing to restrain evil, and you're going to see darkness like you've never seen it before. Well, we're going to see it from heaven. But my point is this. You do not want to be here for the tribulation. 
And we talked about that Wednesday night. That's why you have to listen to it. Um, there's, I said Wednesday night, there's three doctrines concerning the rapture. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. We're pre-tribbers. We believe we're out of here before the tribulation starts. Then there's mid-tribbers. They think that we have to spend half of the tribulation here. Why, I don't know. What our function is, I don't know. But And then there's post-tribbers, means that we have to go through the whole tribulation period. Well, Paul said, you know, talking about the rapture, he said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Well, it wouldn't be very comforting to know that I had to go through the tribulation before I'm raptured. And besides that, the Bible says we're not appointed to wrath. And that's exactly what's going to happen during the tribulation period. God's wrath is going to be poured out. We're not appointed to that. Jesus took our wrath. He suffered. He took our place. And so when you're in Christ, he's already paid the price. You don't have to pay it again. Amen. It's going to be seven years. Uh, it's going to be a, a time of great judgment. We're not going to be judged. We've already been judged. Now, there's the judgment seat of Christ that we're going to go through, but that has nothing to do with uh, your salvation or anything like that or being judged for your sin. It's, you're going to be judged for the works that you performed in the body of Christ. And you'll be rewarded according to that judgment. But it's not because you sinned. But the people in the, in the tribulation period are going to be judged for that. Now you can get saved in the tribulation period. But you're still going to have to go through it. And your chances of surviving it are slim to none. It's going to be a rough time. We don't want to be here for that. Amen? Amen. And then, oh, there's one more doctrine. It's called the pan tribber. I don't care if it's before, during, or after. I believe it's all going to pan out. Amen? Amen? So we don't worry about that because we're not going to be here. We're going to be in heaven. And we're going to be doing certain things in heaven. But anyway, here's my point. People think they have enough time or plenty of time to get ready for God. Especially after what I told you today. I'll just keep my eye on Israel and I'll keep my eye on Russia. And when I think they're getting close to the to that war, when I think they're getting close to declaring that war, then I'll get right with God. But I forgot to tell you something. That war doesn't occur until after the, the rapture. If you're here when that war starts, you're going through the tribulation. So you don't have as much time as you think to get ready. Amen? Now I pray that everybody in here is ready, especially after sitting under my teaching all these years. I hope you're all ready to go. Amen? Amen? That there's no doubt in your mind. But if there is a doubt in your mind, you better make sure you're ready. Yeah, and I don't have time to get into it, but not everybody that's saved qualifies for the rapture. You qualify for heaven, but it doesn't mean you're going to be on that shuttle when it leaves here, when the Lord returns. You've got to be living for Him and ready for His coming. If you don't believe in the rapture and what I just taught here today, you're not going. And if, and if you're not living for the Lord when He comes, you're going to be left behind. 
there are plenty of movies for you to watch about being left behind. I don't know about any of them being true or anything, but uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are left behind. And uh, because as soon as the rapture occurs, everybody's going to see it. They're going to see us leave, leave here. They're not going to be able to deny it. But when they realize that they've been left behind, I'm telling you, there's going to be a revival breakout in this earth like you've never seen before. You're going to see a whole lot of people getting right with God then. And they'll go to heaven eventually, but they're going to be here for the tribulation. It's not going to be a fun place to be. Amen? Amen. Make sure you're ready. Amen. You don't have as much time as you think. And you don't have to take me serious if you don't want to. But I told you the truth today. Yep. Yes. And I know a lot of people think that they just got all the time in the world. Yep. I know a lot of people that don't take this serious and think they can live any way they want to live and still go. Yep. That's not true. I love you enough to tell you it's not true. Amen. You better be watching for them and you better be ready for it. Amen. And that's one of the purposes of the church. Make sure you're ready. I'm going to make sure you're ready in this church. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the revelation of the word, the understanding that you give us, the knowledge that you don't want us to be ignorant of, and you point it out, and you make it so clear and so easy to understand. And I pray it touch the hearts of people today, Lord. I pray that every backslider will sit up and take notice. Every backslider that heard this message will sit up and take notice and realize that they don't have the time that they think they do. And I pray, Father, that those that haven't taken you serious, they may have confessed your name at one time and confessed Jesus as their Lord at one time and been living like the devil ever since. I pray that they wake up today yes. and they get right with you yes. and they be ready for your coming. Because there's going to be a gathering but some of us won't get together. And I pray that's not true of anybody in this church, anybody who's been the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit will minister to their hearts and shake them before the shaking comes. I know, Father, we live in an unshakable kingdom, and we're not going to be shaken with the world, and we're not going to be shaken like the world. But, God, there's times where you... I know you shake us a little just to wake us up. My mother used to shake me. My dad shook me a few times, and it was for my own good. It was to wake me up, and I know that you being the loving Heavenly Father that you are, you'll shake us when we need it, and you'll wake us up to some things. So I pray that this was effective for somebody today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.